We're switching things up this week, featuring some of our favorite conversations we've had since News O'Clock began. First up today is creator and star of HBO's Insecure and co-star of the Netflix movie The Lovebirds, the very talented Issa Rae. And then we're flashing back to business editor and writer Tom Guerra's prediction of the economic disaster facing so many Americans today. The date, August 31st, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, summer's ending, so we're taking a long-due hiatus. So in true summer rerun fashion, we're returning to some of the best conversations we've had since we started the show back in April. That means each day this week, you'll be getting two of our favorite News O'Clock interviews. First up is the amazing Issa Rae, who we were lucky to talk to in May, the day her rom-com The Lovebirds premiered on Netflix. Welcome back. We're really excited about today's guest. We've loved watching her since she was putting out Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. She's the creator and star of the hit HBO show Insecure, and she's starring in a new rom-com, The Lovebirds, that's premiering on Netflix. That's right. We're joined today by Issa Rae. Hello, Issa. Hello. Thank you for the kind words. Of course. They're heartfelt. (laughs) Yes, they very much are. (laughs) So your new movie, The Lovebirds, came out today on Netflix. It features you and Kamal Nanjani as a couple whose relationship has faded and is on the edge of ending. But then you get swept up in a blackmail ring. Have you ever had a breakup that you wish was interrupted via crime? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have. I can say that. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I think we all feel that way about our respective lives. (laughs) I love it. Ah, So you and Kamel are fantastic together in this film. Your energy together is perfect. But you told Seth Meyers you're jealous of his fitness transformation to get into shape for his role on the upcoming Marvel film, The Eternals. So we got to know, how often was he working out on set between takes to get that bod? He definitely wasn't. That's why I'm, oh. I'm, that's why I'm so jealous. I mean, he was, he was definitely he was definitely eating differently, and mm. we we bonded over you know um, our respective diets because I'm always a dieter, and I love you know trying different crazy crash diets and stuff. But mm. but it doesn't it, it doesn't get me more than like five to ten pounds that I always <laughs> gain back. And for him to just do it and put his mind to it and then come out like that is infuriating to me like I'm proud of him but, but also it's enraged but I witnessed him you know go through it. and I think what actually made me upset was he got to have this period when I was actively dieting where he was he got to eat he was complaining about <laughs> being able to eat 3,000 calories a day <gasps> so he was just like oh my god all these steaks and uh, all these this cake I have to eat like I don't and I'm like shut up bro stop <laughs> <laughs> okay so aside from Kumail you've gotten to work with a lot of really big name people by now. So who's the dream collaboration at this point? Like the person you really want to work with, but haven't. There's still somebody. I mean, I would love to work with Denzel. I'm, I'm scared too. I love Samuel L. Jackson. Um, also equally scared. Though I got to hang out with him and he feels like a, a relative in a great way. But I would say those two for now. Denzel and Samuel L. I feel like I've worked with like the black canon of talent. America's Ooh. heroes. Yes, absolutely. I'm curious though, what sort of project would you want to do with either of them? Do you have like something in mind that you would be like, can see the poster of already? 
<laughs> um, I don't know that I'd feel worthy enough to be on a poster, but I'd love to hold a gun with either of them looking over <laughs> yes. the shoulder. Um, yeah, with 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 like badass concern. Mm, that like seventies <laughs> vibe too. E- definitely. All right, switching gears a little bit because Insecure season four is also airing right now. This season is all about diving into the backstory of Molly and Issa's friendship and how it's grown and changed since they met in college and their paths diverged. Is there a person in your life who you were thinking about and drawing from that experience when you were writing this arc? Definitely. There were a couple. I've had two uh, friendship breakups that, you know, Mm. I'm still reeling over and those sit with you because you, with, with friends, it's so different um, because you're so, I mean, obviously relationships are, you're emotionally invested, but there's something about losing a friendship that just feels like losing a piece of you. And especially if it's a close friendship and especially if you don't know where it went wrong, if there's a communication breakdown or if there's a buildup of, of things that you just haven't addressed or acknowledged, like your female friendships for me are are so important and such a huge part of my life. And I haven't seen, um, a, a detailed portrayal of a, of a friendship breakup. And I thought that it was a really exciting territory to mine this season. Between Insecure and this new movie, you've been hustling in front of the media for a minute. Is there a question that you've been dying to be asked because you have a killer answer to that nobody has set you up with yet? Ooh, um, I guess no, because the, I'm, nothing that I'm doing during this quarantine is impressive. So I wish that I, I wish I had something, but I'm pretty lame right now. Oh man! So you've been doing these interviews and promo virtually like all of us stuck inside. So I know that back in the before times, you had your infamous lemon pepper yacht parties and the people would turn out. And I'm guessing that just does not hit the same over Zoom. Hell no. Has it been a struggle to connect to people during lockdown or is your inner introvert just kind of thriving? It's definitely not been a struggle because everybody wants to get on FaceTime now and Mm. talk. And that has been the most annoying because I don't, I don't like talking on the phone already. Mm-hmm. And so to get and I, I've always thought that surprise FaceTime calls were a cardinal sin. They should be illegal. They should, they should be illegal. And at least outside of a, a quarantine or a pandemic, I have about a 50, 40 to 50% chance of looking decent when you FaceTime me. Mm-hmm. But like in a pandemic, I'm always busted. So how dare you <laughs> assume that I want you to see my face? Um, so in that way, it's easier to connect with people, but I do miss, you know, I miss parties and I miss inviting my friends over to just kick it. And, you know, I definitely won't be able to do a yacht party this year at all. And that's like my, my only chance to be the life of a party. (laughs) (laughs) It's your boat. It's your party. They will pay attention to you. (laughs) My rules. Yes. (laughs) You will talk to me when I ask you to on my boat. Okay, so Issa, one more thing real quick. Uh, When doing research for this interview, we came across a piece from Stanford Magazine back in 2012 where you said you hoped the web series Mm. Awkward Black Girl will get picked up by a channel like HBO. So first off, shout out for literally manifesting your dreams like that. In the same article, though, it mentioned that while at Stanford, you staged a Motown version of Grease. And we're going to need you to say more about that because it is such a vibe to picture. What was Uh, that even like? It was... Rough. I don't want. 
<laughs> I don't. I wish I could find that that article and just because there's, I don't want anybody to go back and and find that. I was literally in the writers' room talking about my my theater history at, at Stanford, and the plays that I would direct were basically like adaptations mm-hmm. of movies on the stage. But this one was just like it was of color, mm-hmm. you know. It was a predominantly black production of Grease, and I kind of wanted to acknowledge that the music isn't necessarily what black people of that time would have been singing. So I was like, oh, let's just bump it up a decade. But then it was just, <laughs> it just didn't really fit. So we just, we went with it. It was an anachronistic, like, uh, version of Grease. But, you know, it was it was fun while oh, it was man. there. People, not too many people complained. Going to need to find <laughs> some footage of that ASAP. I really just Down. need to see <laughs> Threat her. I will Threat know who did <laughs> Okay, Issa, this has been great. Do you have time to join us, though, for The List? Yes, sounds great. Okay, it's time for The List. And today, we're looking at three of the most underappreciated romantic comedies, according to us, the experts, and Issa Ray. Number one. Number one for me is the classic teen movie, Can't Hardly Wait. Mm, good choice, good choice. Starring Jennifer Love Hewitt. Okay, for me, it's going to be uh, the classic lesbian rom-com, Imagine Me and You. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. And for me, it's going to be the actual trash film that still managed to be a good romantic <laughs> comedy, Fifty First Dates, <laughs> starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And I will explain why in a second. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was not bad. Was that like basically Groundhog yes. Day with yes, yes. where Drew Barrymore yeah, had yeah. no That's short-term memory and would wake up and Adam Sandler exploits this into making her love him, but somehow it works, or at least it worked at the time. Okay, yeah, we have to know by now that you can't dig hard into these early two thousands movies. You're gonna find no, holes and absolutely. problems. You're gonna find a lot of problems. So. Which is why you just, yeah, just enjoy it for what it was. You have to put on your like time machine goggles and watch them. Yeah, so Issa, what is it about Can't Hardly Wait that you really love? You know what? It was uh, it was just a good, it was like white people house party uh, yes. in a way that I love. <laughs> it was, I love Jennifer Love Hewitt. I love that era of movies. Seth Green was a wigger in a way mm. that uh, uh, was, was terrible, but also relatable because I, I went to a private school where, you know, it was predominantly white and I saw those guys who were just like, yo, 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 what's up? And and it was just relatable <laughs> to me and, and recognizable and it's just it, it and and uh, Ethan Embry was at Ooh. his peak at that mm. time, like Empire Records and and this movie. He's he's killer. Casey, what I don't recognize your movie, and I feel really bad about that. What is that film? Yeah, of course you don't. Okay, you guys. I feel homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so the, this is like one hundred percent a classic in the queer community because it's the only rom com we have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mostly, okay, you guys know a lot of queer movies, they end in death and like going yeah. back to your husband. So so with this one, it was, it was, you know, still had some of that, but it was more lighthearted. We weren't dealing with like the sadness that, you know, Carol's dragging us into. So, so you know what? It's underrated for the rest of the world. I you love deserve. That. You guys Absolutely deserve. Absolutely true. Issa, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Everyone out there listening, you have your assignments for this weekend. Watch The Lovebirds on Netflix and then... <laughs> these movies we have recommended to you. Thank you guys so, so much. 
What a great conversation. Since we talked to Issa for that interview, Insecure was nominated for eight Emmys, including a Best Lead Actress nomination for Issa. When we come back, we'll hear from Tom Guerra about the economic insecurities that are facing so many Americans. So stick around. It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The NFL is back, and the NFL app has you covered. So get ready for football all season long and just tap into the NFL app. NFL, baby, let's make it happen. Just tap in to watch your local and primetime games all season, now through Super Bowl 56. For the end zone, touchdown! Get up-to-the-minute news, videos, highlights, stats, and more on all your favorite teams and rookies to watch. Welcome to the NFL! Download to your mobile device today at NFL.com slash mobile or in your app store. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Welcome back. For our second flashback today, we're going to play you our interview with business editor and writer Tom Guerra on what he foresaw back in mid-June would become the financial apocalypse that so many people in the U.S. are currently facing. We hope you find this one as informative and uh, more than slightly terrifying as we did. I think it's safe to say that the coronavirus ruined everything in an already shaky 2020. To date, more than 40 million Americans have lost their jobs. Many of them are currently receiving unemployment benefits in the United States. But today's guest says we should brace ourselves because things are about to get much worse. Yeah, today we're talking to writer, editor, and recent free agent Tom Guerra, who until very, very recently was with BuzzFeed News as opinion editor. He's written a piece called The Real Economic Catastrophe Hasn't Hit Yet, Just Wait for August. It has all of us up worried. Tom, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Hayes. So, Tom, this take uh, was one of your best received in a minute. You said, uh, quote, the U.S. economy right now is like a jumbo jet that's in a steady glide after both its engines flamed out. In about six weeks, it will likely crash into the side of a mountain. End quote. So for the people who haven't read it, why is August in particular looking so grim? There's some kind of weirdly arbitrary deadlines that were set up as part of the government relief effort that was that has actually been quite effective in preventing the worst case scenarios of, of uh, economic disaster in the US. So the most important one is that at the end of uh, that month, the government's unemployment benefits, which are basically a top up, it's $600 a week on top of whatever the state unemployment benefits are, those monthly payments stop 
uh, at the end of the month. And right now there's no sign that they're going to get replaced by anything. And there are also some other deadlines approaching around then. The most important one that we talk about in the piece is that a bunch of different efforts to stop people getting evicted, basically eviction bans on a federal level and on a state level, they also expire. And so suddenly a lot of people are going to have a lot less money coming in and at the same time their landlords can start the process of evicting them. And yeah, those eviction prevention measures, a lot of them, they say that the rent that you owe keeps accumulating throughout that period. So people are about to have not just that month's rent due, but also the last few months' rent due, right? Yeah, I mean, that was part of the problem with these eviction moratoriums is on one level, it's a good thing to ban people from getting evicted during the middle of a pandemic. It makes a ton of sense. On the other level, just banning the eviction didn't actually get rid of the rent debt. So even if people have been not paying rent for three months, the good news is they stayed in their house. The bad news is they now owe three months' rent. Uh, you know, there's, there's all that accumulated debt that is doesn't go away. In your piece, you mentioned that the economic prospects are so awful, not just because of COVID, but due to a concept called the omnicrisis. It absolutely sounds like something from a Marvel movie, but how would you define the omnicrisis? It's actually a concept that I lifted from a writer named Adam Elkus, who if, if, you, if people Google it, they'll, they'll find his article uh, that, that sort of coined the term omnicrisis. But basically what it's getting at is just that we're just facing this perfect storm of really bad news right now, and all of those things kind of play off of each other. So there's a literal health crisis with the pandemic, and it hasn't gone away. And that health crisis is sickening a lot of people, killing a lot of people, uh, closing down a lot of businesses, you know, causing real-world impact. At the same time, there's a terrible economic recession that was sort of kick-started by the coronavirus crisis, but now is like a force of its own. And then at the same time, we have a bunch of other social crises going on independently of all of this. We have a massive nationwide protest movement that looks like it's showing no signs of, of slowing down. We have a really contentious election coming up that could become, as you guys have talked about before on the show, a, a huge disaster if there's, you know, voting issues, if the legitimacy of the election itself gets called into question by either side. There's just so many different things that are all happening at once and all of them make all the other things worse. Uh, yikes. Uh, so wait, Tom, you've been a business editor. And in the middle of all this, we've been watching stocks just go up and up and up, even as things get weirder and weirder. Uh, this Friday, they seem to finally shake as people realize that coronavirus cases are, in fact, still going up. Has Wall Street finally clued into reality? And how does that affect these looming deadlines that are coming up? I mean, I, I would say that one thing to remember about the stock market is... It really is a prediction sort of market or a gambling prediction system for the future. So what you have to remember is the stock market crashed massively in the middle of February. And in the middle of February, there was only, I, I don't know the exact number, but like less than 100 coronavirus deaths in the whole US. And in a lot of ways, that crash was a forward-looking crash sort of predicting how bad things would get, you know, if, if a pandemic happens. So on, an, on some level, the market rising again recently is a predictive thing about things getting better next year. What, what, what is true, I think, is that the markets getting more shaky do reflect some realization that like things might not be better next year, right? And there's more evidence coming out, I think, that 
you know, we're seeing localized kind of surges in new places that didn't get hit the first time around. We're seeing some pers persistent problems in the rest of the world in places that thought they dealt with this. In the US, we're seeing still like just incredibly inept leadership and, you know, the likelihood of new surges in new places and the existing surges not going away. I mean, even the talk of a second surge kind of overlooks the fact that we're basically still in the first surge. So I think on some level, you know, that prediction market does explain why things went up when they were at their worst, because it was looking forward a year. And I think on the same way, the fact that, you know, the stock market looks shakier today, you could definitely interpret it as more negative perception about what's coming. Like you mentioned before, there has been some relief from the government, but in your opinion, what should the government be doing to shore things up before the crash? Is there a solution that doesn't involve tanking the economy? I mean, you could definitely, I think there's a good argument and both and a lot of Democrats are making it and even some Republicans are making it that it's a bad idea to just end all the relief on an arbitrary day. And I think nearly any rational observer would argue that the relief should be phased out according to the conditions in the country, not just according to some date that you set three or four months ago. They should be lifted once certain, you know, metrics are hit. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, it's very unlikely that this $600 a week unemployment thing is going to get extended past the current deadline. So what you could realistically hope for is maybe that it gets extended by half or, you know, at least give people $300 a week, at least give people who are still unemployed, you know, a few more months or some, something, you know. So even a minimal version would be better. But I think ideally all relief should just be tied to the actual conditions in the country and only go away when the conditions improve. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Tom, this has been great and terrifying. Really quickly, I just want to note for our listeners out there that Tom himself has been impacted by the coronavirus economic fallout. He was furloughed from BuzzFeed News last week and would be an amazing person to have in absolutely any newsroom. I, I completely agree with this sentiment. <laughs> Tom... <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing this terror to us on this Monday. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Hayes. Definitely a trip to revisit that interview. Since we spoke to Tom, a lot of what he predicted has come true. Although eviction moratoriums have been extended for some, even if there hasn't been any meaningful additional aid package passed by Congress. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for two more classic News O'Clock conversations, this time with Bob the Drag Queen and Jenny Slate. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. 
Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Have you ever felt depressed about work only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant. And I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy. So that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. Being a real estate agent isn't about listing houses. It's about connecting to people. I need to find new buyers every day. So I promote my listings using radio commercials from iHeartAdBuilder.com. Now every time I have an open house, it's a full house. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com.